Hello and welcome to the Forbes India cover story podcast series in association with the indicas.com. My name is Abhishek and joining me on the call from Bangalore after a long long time is the associate editor Meetu Jay Shankar. Hi Meetu, how are you doing? Good Abhishek, how are you doing? Doing very well, thank you. And we also have the editor in chief Indrajit Gupta. Hi IG. Nice to have you on the podcast from time to time. Hi Abhishek. And this cover story is a special one in that the Forbes India celebrates and honors businesses and entrepreneurs who have slogged not just for making profits but also have been increasingly active and dedicated in their philanthropic efforts. Now, IT Forbes India is a magazine which we all know sides capitalism, profits and businesses. In fact, we just celebrated that spirit a few weeks back through the Forbes India Leadership Awards that, that happened in Mumbai. And wh- why veer towards philanthropy or charity side of businessmen? What was the rationale of having these awards in Bangalore that will happen soon? Abhishek, since you're familiar with Forbes India and a lot of our readers, have, I think, who've been with us for the three and a half years that we've been around, would know that as a theme, I think we fairly clearly championed the need for a new kind of capitalism, a model that's perhaps more humane, uh, more caring. I think the need was fairly acute, if you, if you remember what happened in 2008, when the uh, entire Western world saw the whiplash of the wrong kind of capitalism, which was, I think, defined by greed and all of that. We quickly realized around the time when we launched in 2009 that there were fairly big question marks around that model and that India had an opportunity in some ways to show the world a new form of capitalism. And that's the time when we launched. And the good news is that I think there was a realization among entrepreneurs and business folks in India that business had a role to play because uh, the kind of huge issues that we have facing our society in India, be it malnutrition, be it lack of education, healthcare, businesses certainly had a role to play because the government couldn't be there everywhere. And service of public goods is uh, an appalling state. If entrepreneurs who created wealth and jobs for society could plow back some of that wealth and their ideas and vision and business acumen to solve problems for society, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. It's early stages, but I think there's a lot more, not just conversation around how to give back and not just through writing a check, and it's also proven that a lot of organizations that adopt volunteerism find much more engaged employees. Of course, profit is important. Without that, there's no sustainable business either. We've kind of tapped into that realization, and this is fairly well time to recognize folks who've stepped up and already been able to make things happen and change happen. So that's really the essence of what we're trying to do. Aji, you mentioned a little something about it's not just about writing a check. But one line of argument, rather, would be that there are companies who have an additional page in their annual reports which talks about the so-called corporate social responsibility, and more of it is more like a compulsion and less of a productive gesture. Now, how do you measure all of this? Is it just the amount of money donated or the palpable difference that you know a water cooler makes to a village? So how does one measure success in this field? Because it's not just sales or revenues, and shareholders probably might not care as much. So I, I think there are two things here. One is that CSR, in the way that you've defined it, tends to be tokenism, and that will really work because we need to measure impact and we need to measure outcomes. That's possible. There are many ways to do it. But I think the notion that we're wearing around to as a magazine and a lot of corporate India is also, I think, coming around to the same view that, yes, I mean, you do need philanthropic capital to really improve our institutions, work with the government and try and bring about change, but you also need to somewhere embed that basic 
view that uh, the business can do well and do good at the same time. And I think it's far more powerful than just kind of allocating 2% of profits to CSR because you never know what that 2% gets spent on. The other notion that you talked about, which is, I think, important, is I think for a long time we've been gotten obsessed with shareholder value creation. We are of the view that that's important, but that's not the only way to define business success and performance. There are many other stakeholders, local communities being one of them. So businesses have often been accused in India of running roughshod over the needs and demands of local communities and where they do business, whether it's mining companies, whether it's steel companies, some of that has happened. So it's not an easy philosophy to follow, but that's where I think we directionally we need to move. Which only makes the job far more difficult for you, Mithu, since you have anchored this report and the cover story, is getting those candidates or the right kind of people on the list from whom you've shortlisted and finally awarded businesses or entrepreneurs. So how did you go about the whole process? When we first began, I was very apprehensive whether we would even get these 50 names, the minimum to work the nomination process. But the good thing is, one, we had a very good partner. So we worked with Give India, and, and they know the space race really well, and we got them very early on. So we drew up the list together. We tapped into our own magazine's resources. We spoke to people we know, our editors. And the good news is that we had a very long list of about 150 names in each category, so 10, 15 names, which only shows that this work is far widespread than we had thought in the beginning. We kept a few things in mind. One was we looked at the intent. So IGN, you talked about the tokenism, CSR. So we were very clear we would not look at such projects. We looked at uh, whether the committed the senior leadership was for the causes that they had picked up. We also looked at the sustainability of these projects. So have you invested your personal time, your money, your resources? Your It was really tough for the jury to decide because every sort of little bit matters in this space. But finally, I think we have a very, very good list of names. Abhishek, consider the jury as well because I think that it's a very, very distinguished jury. So you had Naran Vagul, Dr. Shashi Tharoor, Madhav Chauhan, Dr. Devi Shetty. These are folks who know what's going on in the space. So they also kind of brought their wisdom to bear. It was a fantastic jury meeting. Probably the best I've attended in all my career because the quality of the conversation was outstanding. Can you give a glimpse of about how these things happen? Uh, Nobody knows what happens behind the scenes. It's confidential, so I can't get into specifics, but I can tell you that they were also concerned about innovativeness of the approach. How have you kind of approached a major social problem? How much effort, like Mithu said, in terms of a personal time and commitment? And these are people who are very clued in. And the list has a few known names and a few new ones as well. And in the end, whom did the jury and whom did Forbes India choose as the leader in the philanthropic efforts and why? Yeah, so the flagship award, which is the Outstanding Philanthropist of the Year Award, which covers all that we talked about. Looking at all of that, and we had some very, very good names to consider. Finally, the jury decided to award this to Mr. Premji. He has emerged as one of India's largest and some say Asia's most generous man, but more than the money, I mean, this, the money is substantial, $2 billion of it. But more than that, the way he has led the organization, the amount of time that he has spent thinking about the cause that he will pick, the rationale for it, and how they have gone about building a professional team. There are 800 people in that organization now, and, and a very, very good board that guides them. So for all of that, and for understanding that this work takes time, this is not business, you don't see results immediately, there are multiple factors to consider, and it's a very, very complex issue. And also choosing to work with the government, because that's the only way you will build scale in this space. So for all of that, they decided to award this to Mr. Premji. 
Azim Premji Foundation, like you mentioned, 800 employees and it's funded adequately. It works in the education and related development areas. Now, what is the strategy of the foundation at the ground level? So how does it ensure that the work gets done after they are gone, you know, whether it's tying up with a state government institute. So how does it work at the ground level? When they first began, they were clear that they would work with the government because they came in with the approach that the government has the responsibility by constitution and other things. It's the only body that is responsible to provide education to every child. So their approach is that the schools are already there. Access to education is there. Now we don't need to go and build more schools. What we need to do is to improve the quality. So the infrastructure exists. Now, what do you do to improve the quality in these government schools? And they chose to work in rural government schools, which is the toughest domain in some sense. So they've started with elementary education. And the approach they took was that improve quality in an institution, you need to work with the, the head of the institution. So they work with training the teachers and the principals and building capacity of education officers. This is a program-led approach where they engage with the government state governments and they give money and they provide resources to train these officers. And uh, over the last two years, their thinking is that while these programs have done a lot of good, they've managed to change the way children are assessed in various states. The exam system in Uttarakhand is completely changed now. They needed something more permanent, so they've shifted the strategy to building institutions now. So that's how the Azim Premji University came about to provide the sector with professionals who would work in these areas and also building state and uh, district level institutes and also some schools. So the idea is that one, institutions are more permanent and you can drive more change through them. By building, say, 200 schools, their idea is that they will do it in the same cost that a government school is set up, but they would do it in, in far better quality. So that also puts pressure at the ground. The citizens start demanding better quality. So. That's been their approach so far. In other words, if somebody has to be successful philanthropically, IG, again, you, you've been a student of strategy. We've spoken about that in the past as well. Should these organizations or are these organizations run with the same fervor as a private enterprise is run? And is there more of it happening nowadays? I think so, because I think there's a realization that uh, if, if you kind of try and bootstrap some of these organizations and run them like traditional NGOs, you will not be able to attract the best talent. You will not be able to build sustainable organizations that continue well beyond the founder. He's thinking long term, Mr. Penji. Mr. Tata has spoken about this as well. Uh, and he's talked about the fact that you've got to pay people well, attract the best talent. And there are lots of people who are willing to cross over. And there is a category that we've kind of created in our awards about the best crossover leaders as well. There's some outstanding individuals who've crossed over from the corporate world and begun to do this full-time. Mr. Penji will always tell us that it requires huge amounts of patience because I think that's one thing that's different from the world of business because even training teachers, when you're trying to bring about systemic change of that kind, it's seldom easy. It's like peeling an onion. It is so complicated. You've got to stay invested and keep measuring outcomes. Right. And talking about individuals who have been up there, one prominent person is Mr. Nachiket Moore, who was formerly working with ICICI and then he. What is the story of the man briefly, Mitu, if you could take us through him? He's done quite a few things in the past 15, 17 years and has had an eventful corporate life and then in the social front as well. So it's not just adrenaline, but also a process-driven approach from the man. And he's been successful all throughout. When Nachiket first announced that he was going to quit ICICI Bank and work for the foundation. I remember IG had 
done the story in ETN. We had helped him uh, with that. It was such a big moment in the corporate world because he was set for the corner room. He had been groomed. He had worked so hard all his life. And he was very, very young. So, you know, to give up that position at that time and choose to work in the social sector, it's a huge call, both personal and professional. And so it's been five years now. And um, the good news is that he's managed to do a lot, which is good because it, it's encouraging for the rest of us who have the same dream sometimes, you know, to, to give up this or work in the social sector. So this time what he's trying to do is also very interesting. And I talked about building innovative models. So the challenge that they face today in healthcare is that a lot of the MBBS doctors don't want to go and work in, in rural areas, in villages. And he's identified that there is a parallel stream, that there is talent, um, you know, the non-MBBS category, whether you're an Ayurvedic doctor or a homeopathic doctor. Now, by law, they're not allowed to practice uh, or dispense medicines of the, of the allopathic kind uh, in villages. So what he's doing is he's building an alternative delivery mechanism. He's found a way to train them so that they can at least provide the basic healthcare, you know, like the primary healthcare center kind of thing. And he's using a lot of technology to train them. And if this model works, it could well solve the problem that we have, you know, how to take healthcare to the last mile. So it's a very, very interesting project. And they've done it in a few places, and somebody can take the idea and scale it up further. And it can also go to other countries who have the same socioeconomic challenges that we have. Right. At the end of it, uh, although there are a few people who are making a difference, there is a school of thought that uh, most of the philanthropic efforts are done mainly for good PR and nothing beyond them. What, what is your take take on it, IG, Mitu? Does it really matter if something good comes out of it in the first place or are the reasons equally important? Or is a question redundant altogether? I'll just make one point. A lot of the people that we have featured or we've talked about both in our magazine and also for the awards actually people who were very reluctant to share the work they're doing and the reason is that they say we don't do this for publicity we do this because we, we so strongly believe in it so for me that was a good news you know it sort of takes the question head on what you're saying are they doing this for building a, a public image in fact they're very reticent to talk about it so i mean that that's my take on it IG, would you like to add We've uh, studied each one of uh, them fairly closely, especially the winners now that the edition is out. Our colleagues have traveled widely, seen the work, and arrived at a judgment. So they've traveled all the way, all around the country to really do each of these stories. We are fairly clear that they're having their impact on, on the communities that they serve. Our job is really to bring this to the surface so that more people can get to know. So I think it's for the good that some of this ought to come out. Does that constitute PR? I'm not sure. I think it's good PR in that case. One last question is that statistically it has been proven that India or the Indian corporate world, on the philanthropic barometer, we haven't been as good even proportionally as compared to the West. Now, do you see this changing? How has change been in the last few years? given that India is growing at a reasonable rate, although we say that 5% is far low than what it was a couple of years back. But is it changing and how do you see the future turning out to be in this space? I know we make these comparisons ourselves too. But after working on this project, I have realized that the work is a lot more widespread than we knew about say, six months ago. And two, America has been rich for a far longer time than we have. Many of these are first-generation entrepreneurs who have perhaps built businesses and reached scale only in the last 20 years after liberalization has started. So they're just coming in the way of this kind of wealth. It will take some time. I think Indians have their own way of doing good. It's not as organized, perhaps, and not so visible as it is in the U.S. We need a way to, to channelize that. And, and as these entrepreneurs, some of them are showing the way. And like I just said, if we talk about this, if we 
bring out the work that they're doing, the challenges that they're facing. We can learn from this and I think it will only grow from here on. Thank you. On that note, it's time to wrap up. Thanks a lot, Meetu and IG for your time. Thank you, Abhishek. And all you listeners, you can get this podcast on ForbesIndia.com as well as TheIndicast.com. And this time we also have a a microsite uh, where you can get all the information relating to this event on ForbesIndia.com slash awards slash philanthropy. And there's also a live webcast that is planned from Bangalore of the awards ceremony and the video recording will also be available on YouTube. That's about it, folks. Bye-bye.